0: people said it was just the money well it's not just the money it's the money it's the advisors it's the lawyers it's the accountants it's the encouragement it's the psychologist it's the who you know it's the network it's the customers it's just all of those things together it is a very collaborative world when you are building a company it's literally like raising a child
1: From the Insight Studio, this is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region. The founders, funders, and contributors and the stories of what they're building. I'm Stephanie Sample and on today's show, Liz Marquis tells us about the history of venture in Montana.
0: I think sometimes when you think about venture capital, it's probably good to start with about a 50,000 foot view I think the very first venture fund in America was sometime in the late 50s, early 60s outside of Boston, where there was MIT and Harvard and Boston College. And from that, it jumped sort of to the West Coast. And I've seen a number of presentations. But I think what we all need to remember is that venture is, as an organized piece of the financial spectrum, is a pretty new endeavor. And it was highly concentrated in the beginning. It is still very concentrated, but I think we're going through a pretty big explosion, if you will, of change right now, partly because of COVID, partly because of the internet and our ability to build communities of interest online, partly because our economy is demanding innovation at every turn. And venture capital, by its nature, is the appropriate funding source for that. So I'm going to tell you just a little bit about my history and why venture capital is so interesting to me. I was that curious kid who they begged, please don't ask any more questions. I was a mile (laughs) wide, an inch deep. I was just always interested in how everything related to everything else. I was really good in math. I thought I would major in math in college. Got totally sidetracked, but I did go to a women's college, which was very important for me. I was always sort of a natural leader, bossy, opinionated, strong-willed, all of those things. But when I left college, it was 1976, and prime rate was 19.5%. And I got a job at a bank, oddly enough, even though I'd had nothing but macroeconomics in college. No computer, and I sort of got this sort of clerical job, but moved up, and I became a credit analyst. And when prime rate is 19.5% and you're a corporation with a line of credit that's at prime plus three, you are paying a boatload of money for your financing. And every Friday, we would go look at collateral that we had securing loans. And I would look at these loan officers and go, that makes you feel good? This ugly knit fabric or whatever, and everything was in arrears. But the big learning thing for me from that experience was that bankers are backward looking. <laughs> they look at your credit score, mm-hmm. they look at your cash flow, and they look at your collateral. And so there are only certain kinds of businesses that fit that bucket. Well, you know, fast forward, I'm in sort of my mid 30s working in North Carolina and Red Hat, I was working public policy and Red Hat was an explosive IPO that happened in North Carolina way back when. And there was this big brouhaha because part of the funding for that had been done by something called the Technology Development Authority. So I was doing Mm -hmm. policy and I just got more and more interested about what what they were doing. And innovation was happening, but, but nothing like the rate Of the products we were seeing coming out of Silicon Valley. And I was living in a community, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, that was losing its core industry of tobacco. I saw KKR come in and sort of do the big LBO. So I got deeply interested in equity financing. And I just became more and more fascinated about sort of what the spectrum of capital looked like. And I frankly am not sure I ever heard the word venture capital until I was probably 40 or 45. But I came to, Mon- I was headhunted to Montana I had a very, uh, I call it a checkered resume. Some people would call it a very diverse resume and a lot <laughs> of different experience, policy, marketing and communications. I had, you know, basically good quantitative skills, but I was at a point in my life where I had a beautiful family, a beautiful house, a Mercedes station wagon. And it was like, Okay. <laughs> it just it wasn't enough. I really wanted to challenge myself to do something really unique and different. And I literally out of the blue got a headhunter call that said we're have free-fail searches for this little independent, privately funded economic development startup. Would you be interested? And I'm like, "Yes. I would." I don't know why. I maybe I needed a vacation from the kids. But I came here, I love the Flathead Valley. It so seemed like the right thing to do. And part of the reason that I'm here is my bad due diligence because in 2000, there were not a lot of Montana companies that had any kind of web presence. But of course, SemiTool did because they made semiconductors. And I'm going, oh my God, Cowspell's full of you know mathematicians and chemists and there's gotta be some downstream, you know, innovative <laughs> things happening. And I do credit... We have some amazing pioneers who built tech companies in Montana against all odds. (laughs) Ray Thompson being one of them. I mean, just an extraordinary entrepreneur.
1: Can I pause you? Who is Ray Thompson? I don't even know.
0: Okay, so Ray Ray Thompson is the founder of SemiTool. SemiTool was acquired by Applied Materials. And if you know anything about the semiconductor industry, uber-competitive, extremely global And Ray wanted to come home. He had grown up in Kalispell and he was a real innovator in the market in coatings technologies and actually wound up building, back then the wafers were huge, and Ray basically had the finest washing machine for wafers on the planet. But very leading-edge technology, very good engineer, had employed hundreds of people here. And today, SemiTool is still in existence. It's grown significantly. They were equity-funded. They did an IPO. And then today, it's Applied Materials. And actually, the manager of Applied Materials from Calispell is the new um, director of our Department of Commerce, which is kind of interesting. So I I'm came here nice. with this base theory. I had Winston Salem because we were literally our economy was like we were a very wealthy community because of the tobacco industry. I mean, it is a cash cow, but. Big changes. <laughs> the company had changed, the industry was changing. So, Wake Forest at the time became the first American university to issue a laptop as part of tuition because <laughs> we were kind of betting the farm on technology innovation. There was Wake Forest, Bowman Gray School of Medicine. We were the one of the first communities in the country to have a fiber ring. I had a great boss who was working at the Chamber of Commerce. I came from a paperless office computer and I you would die laughing everybody laughs when they look at the computer I had on my desk when I moved here in 2000 it was like a big fat air conditioner it was so big and you know we I remember sending the first group email it was so exciting when we no longer had to like mail letters out so I mean and I'm all about like getting it done just whatever I can do faster I hated the library because I couldn't stand how long it took to find the book. I just wanted to read this stuff, right? So I come, became just like an internet hound lover. So I came to Montana, 20 and 2000, and I was so excited I got to my office, started sending all these emails and I wasn't hearing from anybody. And the woman working with me came back and I said, Jen, none of my emails are going anywhere. And she said, you are pushing send and receive every time. We have dialogue here. And I said, <laughs> you dialogue, so I dialogue. So I figured that out, I had to get that fixed. But you know, it's just been a very technology has and you know, I'm certainly not the first person to ever figure this out, that in the world where geography doesn't matter, all that matters is geography. But there's a big evolutionary piece to that. First of all, a lot of people don't like to change. That's actually the underbelly good thing about COVID. It is it is really forcing us to change. And and the other amazing thing that I learned from very smart people, much smarter than I, like Tom Siebel. You know, he launched the Meth Project in Montana because we're like a petri dish. We're the we're an enormous state with a million people as diverse as the world and completely disconnected. You do not get up every day and read what's going on in Miles City. You you know, we just don't know. We're more likely to know what's going on in Bangladesh than we are in Miles City. So it was this really interesting place that you could experiment on being able to spin things up. So let's get back to the venture capital part. So my first thing I did, my little tiny office and my little organization that had very little money was hire an intern from the University of Montana to literally go door to door and find every technology company we could in the flathead. And we found about 14 at the time. One of my longtime friends is a a guy named Reed Gregerson. I don't know if you know Reed. He has a company called Zane Ray Group here in in Whitefish today. Reed built the first e-commerce backend for Patagonia. And he wanted to come here and live. And he said, well, I want to do that. And they said, okay. So he figured, well, geez, if I can do this for Patagonia, I can probably do this for other people. So was born... One of the you know tip of the spear high end e commerce companies here, you know, is still here twenty years later. But it was the first ISP service provider actually in the Flathead it happened before I got there, and it was because a New York Times writer wanted to file stories from here during the summer, and the banks wouldn't lend. There was a woman who wanted to start an ISP, and the banks wouldn't lend her any money. So he actually went in and put up a hundred thousand dollars CD for them to loan her money so he could file his stories. so we started just doing this on the boots ground interview, but what we found were there were a ton of people from IBM working in Big Fork there were you know entrepreneurs trying to start businesses and it's so interesting how life circles around. one of the entrepreneurs. We were early. We, you know, I was really pushing tech. We didn't have the workforce for it. We didn't have the infrastructure for it. But we were starting to see more and more entrepreneurs that wanted to come back here and and live. And immediately, you know, every time I would meet some Montana, I love them. They had great work ethics. They were bootstrappers. They were indomitable. Most of them had had really good experiences, you know, other places. I mean, they kind of had a had a tech network, but there was no money. And they kept saying, we're not, we can't come home. There's no money. And I'm, you know, I'm here about a year and I look around and I'm going, geez, there's more money here than most places. And it's two degrees of separation. So I went to a conference in, I think in Philadelphia, and it was on capital sources, and you know, lots of there were lots of you know government programs, and, and most economic development groups in Montana were more focused on the USDA, you know, l- lending things that did gap financing for banks. I wanted money that would finance innovation. People would come and go. Oh God, don't recruit another business here; they'll compete with me. And I'm like, I'm not really interested in that. What I'm interested in is growing a new indigenous economy because the biggest reason was wages wages in Montana were rock bottom. I mean, mining wages were the best. Still are very high. We still have a lot of those jobs anymore. But equity-backed companies pay twice the wages of traditionally bank-financed companies. Why is that? Because the marketplace places a higher value on innovation, new products that make things faster, cheaper, better. And that's the right kind of capital because it's, it's risk capital. It's not you know, lending on a piece of dirt or a coffee machine where I can calculate that 45 people are going to buy lattes before 10 here. I and mean, it's just completely different. But I heard a gentleman speak named Bill Payne, who I thought was really brilliant. And Bill I uh, had a funny Hawaiian shirt on and I, he made a lot of sense to me. And I went over and met him. And it turns out that Bill Payne was an angel investor from California. And I said, Tell me about angels and what they do. So I learned a lot about angel investing. And at that time, this was about 2002, maybe. Most of the angel groups in the country were white guys that met at country clubs or city clubs that had done well, maybe were cashed out entrepreneurs that were, you know, getting together for as much for social reasons. But they were writing some checks here and there. But Bill had a group called Tech Coast Angels that even to today is the best ROI return investment of any group in the country. And so lucky for me, I wound up with two tech coast angels living in Montana in Whitefish. <laughs> and we sort of connected, really mentored me. Said, "You know, I think this would be really fabulous if we could, you know, why can't we do this here? What is here? Let's So it was a really steep, I did a lot of research, a lot of learning. And then there was an impetus that just really pushed me toward this more than anything. I was so hell-bent on finding some traditional industry here that had intellectual property around it. And I was working with these guys from Lippy that had intellectual property on the way you extract nutraceutical from the larch tree. And I'm going, oh, yes, we're going to transform the timber industry. We're going to make it all different. So we're working, we're working on financing for a new facility. And they come in my office one day and say, we're moving to Minnesota. And I was like, what? You can't do that. You can't do that. You're my poster child for like how we're going to, you know, take our traditional industries and remake them with innovation. And they're going to have more value add and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, they moved to Minnesota. So one of the things that I am is really dogged until I really find out what I need to know, or or what I don't know. Because the most important thing is to know what you don't know. And I got off a plane in Minnesota. I took a cab and I went to see this guy named Steve Marcel, who had an organization called Rain Source Capital that had been funded by the Northwest Area Foundation, which is the Hill family, which owns the BNS Railroad and the hotels in our park. And they were seeding an initiative to try to build equity capital in communities. And I said, well, I'm going to do that. And so Steve came out, you know, and I'm always going out and raising money, trying to get people to sponsor lunch and cocktails to get, you know, people to come and learn about why it's important to have angel investors, what being an angel is about, you know, how could we make it fun? What could we learn? <laughs> but we wound up with just an extraordinary group of, Amazing business people who literally put money in frontier fund. And I wanted to do a fund because I wanted entrepreneurs to know. Actually, we did our first meeting at Iron Horse. I got somebody to sponsor the cocktails. And I just didn't like the way it felt. It felt like a bunch of people trying to see who's there, you know, who's doing what. I want to meet those people. It didn't feel good. And so I met I had a little core organizing group because you really can't do very much very well alone. You know, if you want to go far, you need a team. So I had a great sort of little group and we, I said, you know, I don't like the way this feels. Why don't we do a fund? Let's say we do all the money up front, put it in the bank, tell people we have it in the bank and let's start meeting at the Hampton Inn and doing 10 bucks and having soup and salad lunches, get on a regular meeting, cadence and see what happens. So that's what we did. We lost about a third of that original couple of meetings. And we did have companies come and pitch during those because you know, there was sort of this no, there was a mismatch. People didn't know if you had grown, lived here for 30 years, you didn't have any idea somebody was coding or building, you know, a rocket ship in their basement. I mean, people <laughs> just didn't know. So we started, we, we closed our first fund in 2006, was a million dollars We had 38 investors. And fast forward, we still have nine of those companies. Now, it took us forever to invest that money because we realized we didn't really have a lot of investable deals. Because what happens is, you know, you learn all the things. You need something proprietary. You love if there's a moat. You love some competitive advantage. You love the team, you, you know, there's just a whole list of things. You know, you're sued, you're screwed. We wouldn't invest in a company that had a lawsuit. And we were just, we were learning and feeling our way about what our opportunities were. We realized we didn't really have enough deals. And, and the research on on any kind of investing was still very nascent. Actually, the University of New Hampshire, and then later, a wonderful guy, out of, and I'll think of his name in a minute, out of Puget Sound University. We know now after 15 years, that most angel portfolios are 12 deals, six of them you lose all your money, three of them you might get your money back. And so you need three that can return 20 or 30x so you can actually make some money. And that's holding very true for us in our first fund. We've had one excellent exit that was a 30x and we'll likely, maybe, possibly have one more. You know, I've learned you never... You never say never till it happens because angels are not, I mean, we're there, we do well, we do good, but it's nothing like venture capital. I can tell you nothing like venture capital. You know, angels do it for two reasons. They want to do well and good, but it's not their full-time job. (laughs) They've written, you know, generally a smaller check so that you're only on a small piece of the company. And that's so different. Venture wants not all of your company, but definitely enough to be a powerful voice. And venture has a revenue model that gives you money to help that company succeed. So where are we in venture capital? We went fund one, we did fund two, and then I was kind of tired. Um, my husband was <laughs> having some health issues. I've been an entrepreneur, you know, paying my own paycheck. And and I went into this with that, you know, you can't shrink the venture capital model to a small fund. I mean, most people I don't know if your audience is familiar with how venture capitalists make money, but generally they raise money, they take a management fee. And so it the bigger the fund, the bigger the fee. But if you're a million dollar fund, and you're getting a 2% fee, that's not a lot of money every year for no. room and board and you know phone calls and legal fees and all of those things, You insurance, the things you have to have. So, so basically I said, I'll be an entrepreneur in my fund. I'll do it for the carry. I did a little bit different deal in the second fund where I got some sweat equity units, but it's been a labor of love and learning, which I really wanted to do. And I knew that ultimately... In, my, in what I had looked at in venture in Montana, the, and my husband had a small venture fund called Glacier Venture Fund. He started in 1995. There was another small fund that m- invested in Montana called Northern Rockies Fund that Pete Bloomer had put money into that was based out of Colorado, but they did some Montana investing. But it's kind of pre-internet, right? So people are driving around and mailing business plans. And Nothing like the technological opportunities, true innovation that we see today. They did well, but what I kept seeing was out of state, mostly guys, investing other people's money, coming to Montana saying, yeah, I like to fly fish. I'll go out there. I'll look at this company. I'll put some money in. But if they don't double revenues, yeah, they either need to move or shut down. So not a a very robust record. I got a call one day from... Will Price. And I said, okay, let me just tell you the drill. (laughs) I've seen what Silicon Valley VCs, how they act in Montana. And we're not Silicon Valley. We're smart, but we don't have the density. We don't have the the cutthroat culture. We're nascent. And it's really important that you don't just bring the money. You got to do the teaching. So when I passed off frontier funds to Pat LaPointe and Bozeman and he's now on fund four part of I said it's yours run it you know and he's done a phenomenal job but the one thing is that we have to continue to teach we have to get early start Montana as a result of that but we have to, it's an ecosystem. You know, people said it was just the money. Well, it's not just the money. It's the money. It's the advisors. It's the lawyers. It's the accountants. It's the encouragement. It's the psychologist. It's the who you know. It's the network. It's the customers. It's just all of those things together. It is a very collaborative world. When you are building a company, it's literally like raising a child. (laughs) And we just need to continue to Build on that. It's hard. It's really, really hard, but it's really, really wonderful when it works. And why is it wonderful? Because generally, somebody gets rich, and that's really good. Because if you build a company, you turn around and you take that money and you build another company or you invest in somebody else's company. I mean, literally, from ground up you can count the number of companies out of right now technologies. I mean, Elliston Growth Partners came out of that because it is it is very experiential. I remember when I first got in business, I thought I knew everything. And and it's just, it's, it's so awesome to be <laughs> old and have the wonderful, wonderful Rolodex of failures that I have experienced and been part of personally. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it is so many moving parts. And then you can do all the strategy and have, Great products. Timing is everything. Markets change. Pandemics hit. Wars start. I mean, it's just, and it's really a journey of resilience. But we have to remember venture is still in the spectrum of finance if you were going to your financial advisor and my financial advisor tells me every day please do not invest in any more of these high risk companies and i'm like oh but i know them <laughs> i know what they're doing please please don't you would never want to have more than 3 to 5% of your investable capital in a venture fund unless it is a sequoia capital who's got you know one of the world's top 3 track records because they make people spectacular returns, but generally venture as as a as a segment isn't that great i mean uh-uh. and and the number of firms has exploded because the number of one hit wonders or first time startups i mean the you know the internet and and networking have given people the opportunity to have you know the unicorn startup and make five hundred million dollars doesn't mean they're going to be a great venture capitalist so What I love, where I really love where we are right now in Montana is that we've got, you know, Will's on his third fund. He's a very personality and perspective. He's very in Montana. It was very important to have someone domiciled here. And then Mike Gogan, who is my boss, who's one of the most brilliant humans I've ever seen and who has a top five or 10 record in the world at what he does. Has domiciled a fund here. Now we have partners in other places because we're a biotech firm. I do not sit on the investment committee. You do not invest, and Angels didn't invest in biotech. You need highly technically uh, proficient people to just even look at that. And Mike is so deeply technically gifted and brilliant and a constant learner. And he also has that amazing gift to really work well with founders. He is a founder's founder. I'm sure make our fund successful ultimately because founders want to work with Mike again. He's just really one of the masters of networking companies in the country. And he's very, he, he double majored in pre-med as well. So he's really interested in where we are in the country. So we've got two in Palo Alto, two in San Diego, one in Los Angeles and two people in Boston. And then there's six of us here in Montana completely different trajectory. We've already done a small seed fund, but biotech, I love Montana's biotech history. It's it's so awesome to like actually play off of the incredible role that Montanans have played in uh, infectious disease and in uh, vaccinations. I mean, Maurice Hillman is the father of vaccinations. He grew up in Miles City on his uncle's chicken farm. And nine of the 11 vaccines taken worldwide, Maurice Hillman invented. He is single-handedly credited with stopping the Asian flu. And in the big global scheme of things, vaccines have saved more lives than any other initiative in the world. So that's pretty profound. But we never had... The kind, I mean, and, and you know, highly specialized kind of investing. And so I'm, I love seeing that there. I love that Enimmune, which is a fabulous company in Missoula, top tier researchers, they've been courted by many venture capitalists from around the country, but they wanted a Montana based firm. So I have this wonderful pride in where we are today. And for me, you know, I know everybody can do the numbers per capita and do all that. And I know we're probably still. You know we're not number one per capita, but for me it's it's about the quality of our entrepreneurs and our venture capitalists and the kinds of companies we're creating. And I think it will only grow. I mean, it will. We have no problem. If Mike is planning on building a small biotech incubator here on some acreage he has in Whitefish. We would love to move some of our companies here. They are counting the days till they can move here because they can. So, you know, it's it's just an iterative thing. And I, I love that my team is, um, Mike launched our firm with half men, half women. And what I am so grateful that I am doing now in sort of my encore career and community engagement is, you know, when Sequoia started, I mean, they're without a doubt one of the best firms in the world, but when they started community engagement was not something they cared about. People didn't even know what went on inside. It was very secretive. But that's very important for Mike that we we impact the whole ecosystem. So women in STEM, we're probably going to, we're right now forming a Montana Athena virtual chapter, which is the San Diego based group that supports women at sea level and STEM. And I'm amazed at how much interest I've already had. Doctors, physical therapists, researchers, veterinarians, women And then the second thing is we're very involved in the Youth Entrepreneurship Program, which teaches kids in high school and junior high how to think critically and problem-solve. And those kinds of initiatives are Code Girls. Mike and Jamie Gogan have almost single-handedly started the Code Girls Program, and our little Code Girls team in the Northwest has won the national competition twice. So... It's those kinds of dollars that just are so critical in
1: sort of building this whole ecosystem out. So pretty exciting. Very exciting. I have a couple of questions. Is that okay? Sure. <laughs> I'm thinking back to when you started your first fund. Like It's thought of today as terrifying to start a fund, super hard. Back when you started one, it must have been just crazy. What was that like to do that?
0: It was crazy. It was so crazy because I didn't have, I had so little like money and and not that I even let that bother me, but it was like, oh yeah, I really can't afford a lawyer, really can't afford an accountant. So I baited every bad software product, but the most fun ever was Larry Geinchetta, the dean of the business school in Missoula gave me money to sponsor all-day seminar called Swing for the Fences. And it, Bill Payne had been one of the writers of this, and he flew out. And it was a book about how do you make a seed investment? What is a term sheet? What is valuation? You know, blah, blah, blah. We went through the whole thing. And people came in the night before, and I was sitting in the bar in Browse Mount Lodge, and Mary Ann Hudson showed up. Well, Mary Ann was at that time at the Kaufman Foundation, and I had met Marianne at a couple of you know, conferences I'd gone to because I was trying to find out what was happening. When I started my fund, I called every organized angel group in America I could find to learn. I asked questions like, what would you not do? What would you do over again? The only thing that was consistent across every fund was, don't be a fund manager. There's no money in this <laughs> and it's a ton of work. And the second was, have women in your fund because if you get 95, you know, type A ego guys, nothing ever gets done. So those were the two consistent things that I learned. And this was so nascent. People didn't have websites and there was sort of this cultural shift going on of, well, we're kind of the secret money people to, oh no, this is a really vital part of the economy, of the startup economy, because most entrepreneurs don't have the cash flow and collateral that and credit scores that banks want you to have. When I first came here, the most common way for people to start a business was on credit cards. You could get 18 credit cards if you wanted to. And I, I can't tell you the number of young entrepreneurs that come out. Oh yeah, I've got $50,000 in credit card debt at 18%.
1: Crazy. You know,
0: because that's crazy the way they could get money. So back, so Mary Ann Hudson walks in and she, she stayed the next day, met all my people. And within a month, The Kauffman Foundation spun out the Angel Capital Association. And we were founding members, Frontier Fund was. And at the time, we were like, whoa, the Montana people and the California and Boston and New York people. And that was kind of it. But it was awesome because they were like, wow, all these people, cool people, live in Montana. They're so smart. And we had one of the cool things about Montana is the most. You don't come to Montana to retire. You're probably a lifelong learner. You're an active ager. And I, I actually, my line with people was, look, you don't get to sit and ski and hike and whitefish. You need to help us here. I mean, you may not want to go to the city council meeting and you may not want to you know, write letters to the editor, but I need you to coach and mentor our nascent economy. I love recreation, but it is not generally our tourism economy is not a great source of pay <laughs> and benefits. It is it's a taker, if you will. So that was so. Mary Ann spun out. The first meeting was in San Francisco. I'll never forget. There were two hundred people there, and I probably had five angels from our fund there. And you know. What we learned was how to syndicate. I mean, we would spend hours building these whole harmless agreements, figuring out the legal framework for that. But what it gave us was a chance to see what other communities were seeing, have our entrepreneurs have to understand where the bar was. And it gave us an opportunity to share, not be the only investor, because that actually was the big boogie in being a local angel is that you would see one deal a year and you would put three or $400,000 in it and that was it. What you wanted to do was put a little bit in a lot of deals instead of a lot in one deal. But we had to learn all that. And the syndication part has been amazing. And today, this is so cool. I was on the phone yesterday with a guy named Dr. Richard Sudek, who is the, he's the chairman emeritus of the Tech Coast Angels. Richard has now bought a place in Montana he uh, ran the Innovation Center at UC Davis, UC, I'm, I'm not, I, Irvine, he was at Irvine. Richard's a PhD, he's a cash down entrepreneur, he's a coach and a mentor. He is about to do something for our high-tech alliance, but Richard agreed to do what they call a syndicate organization, of which Frontier was a founding member. And so once a quarter, 18 angel funds, They mic everybody up in San Diego at the Innovation Center, and we've sent several Montana companies to pitch there. And that is just, it's profound in terms of the legitimacy and the seriousness of our burgeoning ecosystem in entrepreneurship. You know, nothing about innovation stops at the state line. However, it is important that we be seen as not just sort of an outlier, because we're not. We're on the cutting edge of a lot of things. I think our SaaS industries here are pretty incredible. Some of our drone, outdoor recreation, you know, things are amazing. I think you're going to find that Enimune will be a world leader in their area. And we're sitting here with Rocky Mountain Labs, which has been at the very forefront of the entire COVID situation. So MSU's funded research is is really coming on. And And there's just, it is about providing jobs for Montanans. It's about attracting the best and bright knowledge workers who, you know, like our environment. And the third thing is about creating wealth that then reinvest and becomes philanthropic or, you know, it's really important to do that. So it, it was terrifying. And I have to say, I have to be totally honest. I laid awake a lot of nights and I was, you know, I was so upfront with everybody about, I don't know. I don't know what this is going to look like. I mean, and I had great people supporting me going, we understand. We understand. We're throwing something against the wall. We're going to find out what's there. I think we're going to be fine. I will say I laid awake a lot of nights. We had, you know, founders break up. You find out one of your founders is a felon one day. You learn to do background (laughs) checks just as a routine. But I literally, when I got the first call that we had really had a home run, it was pretty exciting. I was sitting at the red light at 7th Avenue in Bozeman. And I got that call and I just, I, I just burst into tears. It was just so exciting. Oh,
1: Because,
0: you, you know, you can read everything in the world, but until you like get that check in the mail that has a bunch of zeros and it, you shouldn't just do it for the money. There's a way, you got to have like insatiable curiosity and really enjoy risk because it is, it's still a very high risk environment. And we're de-risking that a lot in a lot of ways, but I can't imagine doing anything else. (laughs) I just really can't.
1: That's so great. Liz, I remember talking to you about how the first fund funded a very different kind of company than we're seeing funded today. In the history of venture, what used to get funding? What was fundable? And then what are you seeing today as fundable? You know, fund one... We
0: wouldn't do it again. We did some consumer product companies that were novel, but it's so difficult to scale and market. And for us, the companies that really grow well here are enterprise software, because it doesn't matter where you are and tons of people need it, security, that kinds of, of thing. It's interesting, early on, actually our first investment that we made on December 31st, 2006, is a company that's still ongoing. Their original product was technology, and we very early, that measured the yeast content in craft beer. Now, three PhDs, things were going gangbusters in the craft beer industry in 2006, so anthrax hits. And so they sort of pivot and say, wow, we think we can use this technology to detect anthrax. So they kind of went down that road. But, you know, that was sort of a short-lived opportunity. So where they are today is they sell the reader for the number one drug testing company in the world. So awesome company, however, no exit yet. So we've been in that deal 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of the kind of company, I think today, Second Fund, nothing but really software plays that had some underlying technology play, not product companies, you know, more than anything. And platform companies, it's, it's biopharma. I mean, tech, that kind of investing is so different from like, for example, what Next Frontier is doing, which is kind of a, a plethora of, you know, opportunities, but lots in the software space. Because it's just continuing to iterate, will continue to iterate as we go down the road. And there's going to be a lot of software involved in healthcare and telemedicine and devices. And, but the reality is scaling something out of Montana. I mean, this was early on for me. People would go, well, if we could just get cheap trucking to Missoula. And I'm like, no, it's a long way from Missoula anywhere, you know. I came from Winston-Salem, where 70% of the U.S. population lived within 500 miles. So, you know, you draw a 500-mile ring around Billings and you get Bozeman. I mean, you, you don't get these. It, so any, the only thing that made any sense to me on the, on the consumer side was something that could be put in an envelope, like dental tools, which actually there's a great dental tool company in Missoula or semiconductors, which, you know, you can basically put in an envelope. Very precision, high-tech manufacturing. I mean, hauling heavy stuff, just, you know, isn't a ticket. But thank God for FedEx, because they also have opened up our world a lot here. And thank you for a business model that says, oh, we're just going to cover everybody. I mean, all of those changes have been so huge for us. You know, I know there are some people that probably don't like that so much, but I pretty much like getting my Amazon package the next day here.
1: (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And then I'm wondering, you know, the culture has changed a lot around venture in the last 10, 20 years in Montana. Are you seeing it as just widely accepted by Montanans or is it still people from outside of the state that want to be here?
0: It's funny. You should say that. I just got, just before I got on the podcast with you, I was speaking to a native Montana woman who grew up here who has had the opportunity to work in a tech company who's just killing it. So I see sort of three schools of thought. One is I grew up here and I'm damn excited I can make this much money living near my parents. There are a lot of those who, like Mike, came here and totally fell in love with Montana and the lifestyle and wanted to live here. And then there are, you know, I still think we're still early in that Montana's on the map for venture. and there, It's still, I mean, while we don't use the word flyover, just when you look at the whole, I mean, and of course the migration to Austin by Elon Musk is huge, but probably overstated in terms of you know, what's there there. I do think we're entering a very interesting time for the legacy tech companies like Facebook and some others in terms of the antitrust stuff that's going to happen. But I sort of love that there is a little bit of a lens that people have to look through. Like, we don't get people who don't like snow, and not everybody's going to love it here. But I do think that we will continue as the state to gain more and more traction. But there's still a ton of people. It's still very missoula Bozeman, Kalispell. I look at Great Falls and some of other communities, and they're, you know, nascent entrepreneurs, but those those ecosystems are, are slower for a lot of reasons. But they're coming on. And I love the strategy that Pat had with Early Start, which was to go to the communities. Lots of angels from fund one and fund two have committed to coach. And I think those have been really valuable experiences and will continue to be. And I love, and I told Will this, I said. You know, when we started fund one and we said, geez, we may just lose a bunch of money here, but we're going to do five things. We're going to learn. We know we're going to say no most of the time, but we're always going to do it with a value add. We're going to respect the entrepreneur because I've had, that was not an unusual experience, especially for some of my era of women who went to Silicon Valley and tried to raise money. They felt really demeaned. And disrespected, and they felt the pitch experience was absolutely brutal, that it was not a good experience, and it was demeaning. So we said, What we're gonna respect and value that you're trying, the integrity w- went without you know, without saying, and we were gonna have fun, we we're gonna make this fun. And everybody was very aligned with that purpose. And one of my personal life goals has been and I can't tell you how I think this has paid off in spades. If I could have never not made time to talk to an entrepreneur. I didn't care if they were building shoes or if somebody took the time to find me or to find my number. I mean, and I've had some really crazy phone calls. I've always, <laughs> you know, always taken that call and, and said, why, well, you know, most people just don't understand. And I'm really glad I've done that. I mean, this is so crazy an entrepreneur I worked with 20 years ago that I tried to help. And he just, we just couldn't find programmers. He wanted to work out at a big fork. We wound up moving to Phoenix, moving to California, has actually just come back to Montana and has bought my ranch, which is <laughs> amazing. so incredible after 20 years. We we kept looking at each other going, I know you. So, and his thing, he's done extremely well and When I first moved here, I'm a big data dumper. I looked at every town in Montana that was having sort of a a renaissance, Whitefish, Phillipsburg, uh, Red Lodge. All of them had been led by somebody who grew up there, who had gone away, who'd done very well and come home and done private investing. And private money is really smart money. It's, It's smarter money in a lot of ways. So this whole idea of building wealth, I think is, I see it as a really awesome notion, not a bad notion. And the idea that if it is to be, it's up to me and I have the opportunity to do that. And I know that's not for everybody. I know it's not, but but I think that we have a lot more than we think we do of those kinds of people. Because I own the URL, you can't be what you can't see. And I think if you grow up in a little tiny farm town, some sure you don't see that opportunity. I love what I'm seeing happen here around startups. I don't know if you know Charlie Health. Charlie Health is an equity-backed finance company, backed not from Montana Venture, but from out of state that focuses on mental health for 17 to 22-year-olds, primarily eating disorders. They work very closely with local communities. But if you have an eating disorder, say you're bulimia and you live in Culbertson, you don't probably have a community where you have 10 girls or you know that you can sit with and they've built a, a really elegant platform so that you can have an intimate relationship about your issue with 10 other people in Montana and you know it's that's amazing. It's so cool i just i just think the opportunities to do good are amazing i'm not so i don't get so hot on the unicorn you know, work workspaces and that kind of thing. That doesn't excite me nearly as much as things that move the human needle that make yeah. lives better. And so many venture back things have done that. I mean, some not so much, but, you know, we also have a lot of businesses we don't need. So anyway, to me, sure. that's, that's my purpose for loving venture so much. That's
1: so great, Liz. Um, our state is so lucky to have you and all that you've done. I'm wondering... Can I transition us to my rapid fire questions? Absolutely. Ask me anything. Okay. First one. What are you looking forward to in the next 30 days?
0: I am looking forward to going to Maui. (laughs) (laughs) And at the first of the year, I will tell you, I had a little bit of ageisting when I decided to go back to work full time. This like rock star, world-class team. And of course, Sequoia has always been my like, you know, tip of the spear, like, what are they doing? And to be able to even sit at the table with one of their partners is like, it's that's my Miss America dream. And I got to do it. And <laughs> it's so cool. So 30 days going to Maui and I'm doing, I'm on this big health and wellness aging thing, working with a group here in Whitefish called Whitefish Vitality. And I feel so much better than I did 30 days ago. I can't wait to see how I feel in 30 more days. <laughs>
1: That's amazing.
0: I've cut my wine drinking Um, in half. Yeah, I'm pretty happy about that.
1: (laughs) Okay, anything binge-worthy in your life right now? Books, podcasts, TV shows? Oh, yes. I never signed up
0: for Netflix until Christmas. So I've just finished all nine seasons of Frankie and Grace, which is Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. It's the dadgum funniest thing, and I'm so sad it's over. I'm reading about seven books at the same time right now, which I should not be doing. I'm reading everything from The Gene to Culture Club to Predictable Unpredictableness is another one I've just finished. The number of good books to read right now is just over the top. And I, you know I, don't, I am reading a lot about social justice right now. There's a book that I really love called The Tyranny of Merit because I tend to work with such brilliant people who have worked so hard to get a PhD. But I, and I, I know how much they sacrificed, but I also know that our community has many kinds of people. And um, I think a lot about that. You know, what mm. is justice, what, what, you know, I, I love, I love merit, but there is some tyranny to that too.
1: Yeah, so. Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna have to look at that one. Someone you're really looking up to right now.
0: Right now, I am really looking up to one of my partners. His name is Seth Stratton. Seth grew up in Kentucky. His parents were teachers. They put him on a bus. He had never been west than Mississippi. He wound up getting a postdoc at Stanford and was running the ENCODE project there. And one of the things that Michael does for our teams is we bring all of our family together, our portfolio company, and he brings in world-class educators. I mean, teachers that are like experts in the fields that we're trying to learn. So I got to meet Seth before COVID. He's a sailor. He's one of the most brilliant humans, but he's funny and he's... He loves the earth. And I just found out the other day, he's a birder and he knows my friend Denver who lives in Charlotte. So I really look up to Seth for his ability to, like he had a full professorship at Stanford. Love people who would say, oh no. You know, I love people who will take that risk. Oh, the other book I'm reading right now is called The Second Mountain. David Brooks has written about how you spend the first half of your life. Like, yeah, I'm the PhD chair at Stanford, right? Okay, so I've got all this living to do, and sort of people who find such a great purpose and meaning in the second part of their life. So I really look up to him a lot.
1: That's awesome. Last question: What is a current challenge you're facing?
0: The biggest challenge of my life has been my husband's. He's had some really serious medical conditions the last couple of years, and all of our life plans have changed in both good and bad ways for me, but. That's been a very difficult thing. We have five children. I have six grandchildren. I have worked through a lot of, but I'm sure I'll have some more sleepless nights about being a guilty working grandmother. I was a guilty working mother. <laughs> but I think actually being the grandmother is easier because you can just write him a check and that's okay. You couldn't do that as a mom always. you really <laughs> needed to be there. So yeah, but that, you know, and health is wealth. Oh my God. And it's what... It's so exciting for me every day. But, you know, we all face challenges and and it really isn't about what happens to you. It's how you respond to it. And you you have com- pretty much complete control over that.
1: Yes, yes. I might know a thing or two about guilt and being a mom. We do. Thank you so much for being here. One last thing. How do people find you online or find 2Bear online? Where are you guys at?
0: Absolutely. Our website is 2 and my direct work email is liz.markey at 2 com. I had a very active consulting business for about 10 years, which I am no longer doing. But if personally, just you can reach me at liz at lizmarkey.com, M-A-R-C-H-I.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to foundintherockies.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop. See you next time.